Well, good morning, church. How you doing? Believe it or not, we are in our last conversation coming out of the book of 1 John. Whenever we start these series, this series has been some 12 weeks long, and then we blaze through it, and I look back and I think, where did those 12 weeks go? So today, our last conversation coming out of 1 John, next week we'll actually begin with the book of Acts. If, if you've got little ones up to fourth grade, we're actually going to be tracking the, the very same thing that, that, that your little ones up to fourth grade are tracking in Sunday school. So excited to see what might come of that. But that's next week. Before we get there, we need to have this last conversation. And the thing that you have to know is with John, he is going to push all the way right up until the end of this book. Right? There's no filler here. John is going to give us these things that we need to know. The way that we've been saying this, we started to say this when we first started our time with 1 John, is, that, is that, that the events that are happening here that we see in this book are happening about 30 years after the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And enough time has gone by that there are those who are pushing a false, a knockoff version of Christ. That they're pushing a message about Jesus that is not true and people are getting confused. And John is writing because he doesn't want these people to be confused. He doesn't want you and I to be confused. He wants us to know and to follow the real Jesus. And so it's this word know that's, that's going to be super important for us this morning because John is going to give us this word some seven times across nine verses. And it forces us to ask, it forces you to ask. So in light of all that John is saying, in light of all that John has been saying, what do I need to know here? And you have to understand that for John, knowing is not simply knowing the facts. It's not simply having the correct information in your head. John's knowing is an invitation to step into, to experience a new reality in our lives. And so that drives the question for us, what do I need to do with the reality that John is inviting me to know? For me, one of my personal answers to this question involves the video game Fortnite. Does anybody know Fortnite? Can I see your hands? So my guess is this, if you're 25 and younger or connected to someone 25 years old and younger, you know what Fortnite is. If you're over the age 25, you're probably better off not knowing. (laughs) I heard an amen, okay. It's official. But before we get to my Fortnite story, let's see how John gets us, gets me there. Let's look at what John has to, to tell us coming out of 1 John chapter 5. Verse 13, he writes, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the first thing that John is inviting us to know, know number one, that the ultimate reason for for writing 1 John is so that believers, so that you and I, that we may know that we have eternal life. John is writing to give us a sense of confidence, to give us an assurance, and also to his original audience, Right, these people who are who are being confronted by those pushing this knockoff version of Jesus. These antichrists that we have talked about in our time in First John, these antichrists who, Christ who are pushing an alternate claim about Jesus against or in place of what John has proclaimed to be true. 
Again, we've talked about this before. And as John's original readers are wrestling with what is truth, John is over and over again pointing to the Jesus that he himself experienced, the risen Savior in whom we have eternal life. Verse 14, we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. So so the second and third thing that John is inviting us to know, that that assurance that John is pushing for leads to a confidence that the believers, as we come boldly to God in prayer, we know that God both hears and answers our prayers. Not prayers for a new Bentley, not prayers for a swag-filled life, but, but prayers that align with what God is doing in us and around us and through us. And John, while he's on this topic of prayer, John takes a moment to encourage us to pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin. Because John has has kept coming back to, throughout this book, his call to love. And because of this, John is going to invite us to love our brothers and sisters by praying for them when they struggle. We see that in verse 16. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. And then we get to this this part in these verses that prompted a couple of you to email this week in anticipation of this conversation asking, what in the world is this sin that leads to death? Should have probably had you email Daniel since he seems to have all the answers. I'll try that next time. Right, we see that in the back half of verse 16. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. What John is talking about, what is happening here, aligns with everything that John has been telling us throughout 1 John. Here's how one theologian said it, and I love this. He said, there's no doubt that when John wrote about this sin, he was thinking primarily of those who had left the church, right? Those antichrists that we've talked about in our earlier conversations and whose lives were characterized by deliberate refusal to believe in Jesus Christ, to obey God's commands and to love one's brothers and sisters. So the key words in this definition are those words, deliberate refusal. This is not someone who is struggling with belief, or obedience, or love. People who who want to believe, who want to obey, who want to love, but they find themselves struggling. Now, the people that John's calling out here are those who know what God wants, and they say in a a firmly entrenched, deliberate, hard-hearted way, nope, not going to do it. I am not going to believe. I am not going to obey. I am not going to love. This is someone who is deliberately moving in the opposite direction of everything that John is inviting us to know in these verses. Before we move on, I need to point out one thing here. If we go back to that second half of verse 16, notice that John is not telling us. John is not commanding us to pray for this person deliberately refusing to believe. But at the same time, John does not forbid it. And I point this out as a word of caution. This deliberate refusal to believe could have described the Apostle Paul before his conversion. 
This deliberate refusal to believe could have described the Roman officer at the cross of Jesus who who comes to worship Christ as he watches Jesus die. You and I can never fully know what is going on in someone's heart. And with God, all things are possible. So this verse, verse 16, requires a lot of wisdom in its application. Verse 18, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Verses 18 and 19 go together, and you can almost come at verse 19 first. Right? Verse 19 says, we know if, you're, if you've if you follow Jesus, you know that you are a children of God. And verse 18 gives us the so what? So no number four, a believer knows that God's children don't make or don't aim to make sin the primary pattern in their lives. And no number five, a believer knows that he or she is one of God's children and that Christ who holds them securely is stronger than the evil one. John's already told us this a couple of times throughout 1 John Most recently, back in chapter 4, when he told us that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, who lives in the believer, is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Satan, the evil one that we see here in verse 19. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come. He's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. No six. And seven, a believer knows that that Jesus Christ has come as a human being. To, To be one of us, to be our substitute, to be our representative on the cross as Christ pays the penalty for our sin. To make forgiveness available to us, to open up for us the way to real relationship that we might truly know God. And then 1 John ends with a final assurance. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. And John ends with a final challenge. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. John is saying, knowing everything that you now know, keep away from anything that might lead you off course in your relationship with God. And so John closes out by giving us these seven things to know. And I wonder if you're able to see in these seven things that these seven things can fall under these three big ideas that John has been giving to us over and over and over again throughout 1 John. Again, we've talked about this multiple times, right? Know the real Jesus. This is, is the baseline of this equation The other two ideas, those two sentences below that line, know the real Jesus, flow out of, cascade from the the fundamental baseline of knowing Christ as your Lord and your Savior. So know the real Jesus. Knowing the real Jesus will make itself real in obedience, and obedience will make itself real in love. And so... If you can see how how the seven things that John has just given us flow really out of these these three big ideas. And if you're able to see that, that that, these things that John is inviting us to know, that brings us back to the question that we started with this morning. What do I need to do with this reality that John is inviting me into, that John is inviting me to know? 
Here's how I said it in the email I sent out on Friday. As we end our series, is there anything here that the Holy Spirit is specifically inviting you to take action on? Maybe the Spirit is inviting you to get to know Jesus more intimately. Maybe the Spirit is inviting you to grow in greater obedience in a specific area in your life. Maybe the Spirit is inviting you to make his love tangible and real to someone near to you. Are you able to hear the Holy Spirit prompting you in any of these areas? And most importantly, what will you do with that prompting? Now I realize that that is a super big question. But please this morning, don't dismiss it. In in the the, the nine verses that that we've seen here, John is saying, know these seven things, right? Even in these couple of verses that we've had, John is throwing a lot at us. In any given week, if you are spending time in Scripture, if you're here on a Sunday morning, maybe you're talking to some friends about spiritual things, maybe you're tracking with a class or a group, you're going to hear lots of commands coming out of God's Word. Do this. Don't do this. Avoid this. Think this way. Have this attitude. Again, it is a lot coming at you. What are you supposed to do with all of that? I think when it comes to that kind of question, it's easy for us to forget that that Christianity is absolutely relational. That we are in, in a relationship with a God who is at work in us, if you are following Christ, a God who is at work in us through the Holy Spirit. We see that in Philippians 2. For God is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This God who is at work in the life of a believer, whether it feels like he is at work or not, God is at work. God is always at work. And so the question then becomes, are you able to hear him as as he invites you to partner with him in his work inside of you? That's why scripture, time in God's word, And prayer, which is really just replying back to what we see in his word. I love the definition for prayer that I recently saw. It is a realized helplessness. That's why time in God's word and prayer are so important. Because you you want to be able to condition yourself to be able to hear God. To be able to hear how and where God is moving in and around your life. Time in scripture and prayer is simply a tuning into God. Again, the God who is always at work, always at work, what he's up to. And so for me, when I sit with, with, with my Bible to read and to think, because I'm trying to notice, I'm trying to listen, I'm trying to hear. And, and if the thing that I hear, if it's something that is good, right, not something that God says to avoid, if it's something that I can actually do, if it's something that is wise, something that aligns with with where I sense God wants me to go, and oftentimes for me it has to be a repeated thing. I'm I'm hard-headed like that. 
It's not just a, a once and gone kind of thing, but it's, it's almost like a continued knocking. As if the Spirit is knocking on, on the door of my heart saying, Hey, Brian, there's this thing that we need to work on. And if I'm getting all of that, I start to explore that. I take that back to God and I say, Okay, what are you telling me here? Because again, Christianity is absolutely relational and I get to take these things that I think that I'm hearing back to God and say, okay, where are we going with this? I think sometimes we get stuck here and that we've got these issues in our lives that, that, that feel so big and we don't know where to start and we don't know where God wants us to start. And there are times that God wants to do something big and drastic and grandiose in our lives, but so often he wants to start by inviting you to take one or two steps in the right direction. And so if we come back to our questions this morning, as we end our series, is there anything that the Holy Spirit is specifically inviting you to take action on? Maybe the Spirit is inviting you to get to know Jesus more intimately. Maybe this morning you're here and you have never said yes to the Christ who wants to forgive your sins. And this morning the Holy Spirit is prompting you to own your relationship with Jesus. Maybe for you, if if all of Scripture ultimately points back to Christ. What does your time in God's word look like? And I I don't say this to guilt trip any of us, but this is one possible application coming out of this question. If the statistics are to be believed, most of us struggle with time in God's word. That includes me. And so, so maybe God is inviting you to take whatever your, your time investment is, the time that you spend with God, and currently take that and bump that up by a few minutes. Maybe the Spirit is inviting you to detox from your devices for a couple of days so that you can hear Him. Maybe the Spirit is saying, take your drive time and turn off the propaganda of the news and and turn on some good worship music so that you can get some truth rolling around inside of your head. Ultimately, I do not know what the Spirit wants to press you on, but I know that He wants to press you. Will you ask Him what that looks like in your life? Maybe the Spirit is inviting you to grow in greater obedience in a specific area in your life. If knowing Jesus makes itself real in obedience, is there an area where obedience is a struggle for you? And honestly, every single one of us can answer yes to that question. So what happens if you take that area, you take that thing, you take that issue and simply bring it out into the light of the day, put it on the table to have a purposeful conversation with God to see what the Spirit wants to do with that. Maybe the Spirit is inviting you to make his love tangible to someone near to you. For me, while I could pull a number of things out of of this question, The way that the Spirit has been at work in this area in my own life most recently is 
He's inviting me to play the video game Fortnite with one of my kids. It's this call to love. As, as, as a, a teenager who, who is wanting to exert their independence, as teenagers do, and as a dad who isn't always down with what that sometimes looks like, my kids and I, we have our moments of tension. I'm sure that all parents of teenagers, either presently or at one time, can relate. And I'm sure that all teenagers can relate from their side of this same dynamic. And so, so my kid, as, as, a, as, as a beast, at playing Fortnite. The Holy Spirit is inviting me to hang out with them as they play, as simply a way to spend time with them to show them tangible love. I've got a notebook that I keep as I read my Bible and I hear things from God, and literally that thing is in there multiple times. But that's me. What does it look like for you? Are you able to hear the Holy Spirit prompting you in any of these areas? What will you do with that prompting? With all that we've seen in 1 John, with everything that John is inviting you to know, what is God saying to you about these things? What is the Holy Spirit inviting you to take action on? So that's how we're going to end this morning. I'm going to give you a few moments of quiet to take the questions that you see on the screen, to take those questions to God. Let's go quiet. Let's pray.